0: From UNH Cooperative Extension, this is Overinformed on Vegetable IPM. I think I've mentioned it a time or two about how happy I am to be back home in New Hampshire. But sometimes it gets a little lonely being one of only a handful of entomologists in the state. One of the many reasons I started this podcast is that it makes a very good excuse to talk to other entomologists. And nothing fills my heart more than talking to other applied entomologists, especially applied entomologists as dedicated to their craft as my guests on this week's episode This episode might be a little bit inside baseball, but I really enjoyed our discussion, and I hope you do. But first, the basics on this week's pest, the leek moth. There's a mix of good news and bad news here. Leek moth is not present in most of New Hampshire, or at least not in large enough numbers to worry about. Um, however, it is one of two invasive leaf mining insects that attack members of the onion family that are present in the Northeast, both of which are looming in on our territory. A European native, Leek Moss' first North American record was in Ontario, Canada in 1993 and has since moved through New York State into Vermont and threatens from the North. The other invasive onion pest is Allium leaf miner. Its first North American record was in Pennsylvania in 2015 and it threatens from the south. Allium leaf miner is a fly, and obviously leek moth is a moth. But leek moth adults are these tiny mottled brown moths that fly at night, so you probably not see them. You'll likely see the damage caused by these insects before you see either of these insects in the flesh. So things like distorted growth, um, tunneling within those onions with associated frass or larvae poop. Larvae of both species mine into onion leaves, and they look quite different to me, the larvae, but the easiest and and most easily distinguished feature is the pupal stage. Leek moth will spin a loose cocoon. So that's similar in appearance to diamondback moth pupae, if you know what that looks like. And Allium leaf miner pupae, they're flies, so they have hard-shelled little dark brown things for pupae. They're kind of egg-shaped. Let us know if you come across either of these guys. Leek moth can be easily monitored And conventional insecticides do a pretty good job of controlling them. But what if conventional insecticides are not for you? This was the case for Vic and Scott, the hardest working entomologists in Vermont, making it work with several different affiliations between them.
1: So my name is Scott Lewins. I am an entomologist. I teach at St. Michael's College and do research with UVM Extension and Plant and Soil Sciences.
2: And I'm I'm Vic Izzo. I'm a lecturer here in at UVM in the Plant and Soil Science Department, and I'm an entomologist also. But actually, I'm more of an an, an evolutionary ecologist by training, um, and I'm also the educational coordinator of a research group known as the Agroecology and Livelihoods Collaborative here at UVM.
0: I asked Vic to tell me more about the Agroecology and Livelihoods Collaborative and what it does.
2: So it does it does a lot of things. Um, it was originally conceptualized by Um, Ernesto Mendez, who is the executive director of the collaborative, and the concept is basically applying agroecology in all of its facets, kind of of applying ecological concepts to agriculture, of course, um, as it was originally founded, and then really looking at both how that affects livelihoods, kind of applying those concepts and how it can best serve farmers and practitioners throughout. A lot of it is originally the lab focused a lot on international, especially um, Latin America, um, coffee farmers. And since I guess the last five or six years, since Scott and I started working with them, we've really started to integrate a lot of Vermont farmers and applying what's called participatory action research. So it's kind of turning the the academic model of inquiry on its on its head to some degree. Um, so Scott and I, both when we go out to develop a hypothesis or a question that we want to research, traditionally it would be that we find something interesting or we find a problem. We identify a problem that might, that come through some an extension agent possibly or from a farmer directly. And then we'll go into our workshop or whatever, our thinking workshop and come up with ways that we think would work best. Um, and then we'll go out and we'll find a farmer that wants to work with us. And then we'll develop the experimental design to come up with the questions and then simply just find someone who allows us to do it on their farm. Um, and,
1: or just do it on a research farm yeah. and eliminate the, the production farm uh, from That's the right. research model altogether.
2: Yep. What well, we've learned and we've done this a couple of times. We've come up with really great ideas and we've tested them and we've even seen that they were successful. And then when we talked to some farmers about applying that method, they kind of laughed at us for several different reasons. Either it's, too co- it's not cost effective to do that. Um, it doesn't fit into their, their landscape. All these different reasons why they would never adopt it, despite the fact that it works,
1: because the solution came from a an academic and not, you know, from a farmer.
2: So that's what we did we <laughs> for a long period of time. Um, and often we weren't answering. We were sometimes we would even set out to answer questions that were necessarily applied. Um, so and so the this action research. The idea is that farmers are participating from the very onset of a research question, even um, planning whatever it may be all the way through kind of applying it and adopting it, and then even being part of the outreach.
0: So participatory action research will shorten this to par. Um, It's an approach that puts the needs of the farmer first so that an adoptable control measure stays in the world of adoptability. I can certainly relate here. As a card-carrying egghead, I will admit from time to time, one's interest in the behavior or ecology of a pest insect can lead one down a magical path into imagination land. Keeping the whole process on farm and keeping the farmer in the driver's seat can keep our eggheads Out of the clouds. More importantly, farmer collaborators may bring ideas to the table that researchers might not land on intuitively. Here we'll use leek moth as an example.
1: So it's a caterpillar that feeds on alliums. So leek, obviously, onions, garlic. It's historically been called a leaf miner, which drives me as an entomologist nuts because it's not a leaf miner, it just happens to be in the Center of a onion leaf, which is hollow, feeds on almost all of the um, leaf, but it just leaves one cuticle, the outside of the onion leaf cuticle intact. So you see this window painting damage on onions, but in garlic and in leeks, um, they just feed right through the leaf. It's a, an invasive pest um, that's really just been restricted to Canada, eastern Canada, and a few northeastern states. The the New York growers, for the most part, are conventional um, growers, and there are some really effective systemic insecticides. And so all of the interest in research in leek moth has basically fizzled out. Up to this point, Vic and I really are the only ones that have been paying a lot of attention to it. And so as a result, um, we've been able to, to kind of make a name, at least in Vermont, with growers and coming up with some solutions that, that would work. Uh, on a Vermont scale. And the first thing that we did was we just tried to figure out where it was and when it was there. And so we implemented a monitoring uh, program using pheromone lures throughout the state. Um, What that did was obviously inform us on, you know, again, where it's a problem and where it's not a problem and when they're showing up, informing growers on the best timing of uh, spray applications, because we're working with organic growers who for the most part really only have one option, Spinoza or entrust. Uh, timing of spray applications for organic growing is really crucial. And so having the monitoring information was really helpful to provide the timing for when to apply um, the insecticide sprays.
2: I also work quite a bit with with gardeners in the Master Gardener Program here at UVM and with a, a couple other garden programs in, in Burlington. And one benefit of working with a moth species is that they're, they're nocturnal, so they're only laying their eggs at night. And so for smaller scale gardeners, even smaller scale farmers, like market garden farmers, a, a really successful technique has been to cover any type of remay or any type of exclusion netting for um, leek moth at night. And then you can pull off the, the remay during the day, do your weeding, do your watering, not have to worry about frying your onions during the day. Again, as Vic was describing the par process,
1: um, we were working w- we worked with a bunch of growers on a, on a number of different projects, and so we were talking to one of, one of the growers who we work a lot with about another project, um, and he had mentioned using trichogramma in sweet corn and how effective trichogramma these parasitoids wasps are for corn borer. That kind of led to a discussion, well, why not try trichogramma with leek moth?
0: I'm gonna jump in here and talk a little bit about trichogramma and something that makes the PAR model so exciting because even though this is one of the most highly studied and widely available biocontrol agents out there, this wouldn't have been the first thing I would have thought of if leek moths showed up in my backyard. But because Vermont farmers were already familiar with this parasitoid for the control of other caterpillars, this approach was fully on the table. There are hundreds of species of trichogramma, but they are all egg parasitoids, meaning they lay their eggs inside the eggs of other insects. They have been found to be effective biocontrols for a pretty broad spectrum of caterpillar pests, hundreds of species, in fact, including corn borer, corn earworm, cutworms, cabbage looper, armyworm, and codling moth, just to name a few. The first description of a trichogramma species was in North America in 1871 by my man, the American entomologist himself, Charles Valentine Riley. Let me digress for just a moment to point out that C.V. Riley was a pretty important entomologist in the U.S. He was the first curator of insects for the Smithsonian Institute and he received the French Grand Gold Medal of Honor in 1884 for saving the French wine industry from grapevine phylloxera. Granted, grapevine phylloxera had been imported from the U.S. to France a couple decades before that, so we kind of owed them, but Honor when honor is due. Back to trichogramma, which was first used as a biocontrol in the early 1900s, first mass reared in 1926 on the eggs of grain moth. We know most of what we know about deploying inundative releases of biocontrol agents based on work with this group. An inundative release is an approach in biocontrol where a whole lot, one might say an unnatural number, of natural enemies is released to control a pest insect. They're not expected to establish or become a permanent member of the insect community. So in this way, these releases are similar to an insecticide treatment. Back to Scott and using trichogramma for leek moth.
1: Trichogramma, you just need to know when eggs are laid so that you can time your trichogramma releases. Well, we already know when the eggs are being laid because we've got monitoring traps spread throughout the state. Um, And so that has led to a collaboration with a company up in Quebec that has a really easy to deploy version of Trichogramma that they've been using with their garlic growers, but they don't have anyone really growing onions on a large scale. And so we've partnered with them to trial these Trichogramma uh, in onion growing here in Vermont. So again, sort of one question leading to multiple solutions, um, most of which again came, you know, at least partway from uh, collaboration with growers.
0: very cool. This is still a work in progress. So stay tuned for more on leek moth research coming out of Vermont. Things look good so far. And us lucky ducks here in New Hampshire will benefit from their work if leek moth becomes a serious problem here. So thanks to Vic Izzo and Scott Lewins from University of Vermont for their work and for a very interesting conversation. That's it for this week. A very special thanks to Brentwood's favorite son, Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Overinformed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire, Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.edu.
2: She has an army of growers that will try anything. They're mostly conventional up there, but... Yeah, but a
0: conventional grower in Canada is somewhere between an organic grower yeah, exactly. and an American <laughs> <laughs>
1: very, Like everything, right?